electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer is at One Market in San Francisco. In a few moments, National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow, as the U.S. and China, signed that phase one trade deal today. In the meantime, futures are soft in the wake of Target's surprisingly weak holiday comps. Goldman pretty good. Uh, Europe is red this morning. December wholesale inflation does run a bit cool. Our roadmap this morning begins with an historic day in our nation's capital. Impeachment expected to move to the Senate for trial. The phase one China trade deal set to be signed at the White House this morning. Top Trump, uh, top Trump economic advisor Larry Kudlow joins us first on CNBC this hour. And financials are in focus. Bank of America beats for the quarter. Goldman hampered by these litigation charges. And target shares are plunging this morning. Holiday sales miss on estimates. This on weakness in toys and electronics. So we'll begin, of course, with the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal set to be signed this morning. This is what Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said about the agreement earlier this morning on Squawk. ...to put together very significant laws to change rules and regulations and have made very strong commitments to our companies that there will not be forced technology going forward. And I think that's a, that's a very big win for our technology companies, for our businesses and for American workers. Uh, so, guys, so we look forward to learning a lot more uh, in, in the wake of this signing. Jim, uh, Mnuchin's appearance this morning did bring us something new, and that was the notion of phase 2A, phase 2B, phase 2C. So stories evolving rapidly. Look, I, I think that the takeaway for me is that tariffs worked. If you go back in time, people just said, listen, tariffs won't work, won't change them. The Chinese are all powerful. Tariffs will hurt our consumer. The consumer is going to see a lot of inflation, both at the producer level and the consumer level, ultimately, uh, which is going to hurt the U.S. economy. Uh, None of that happened. The whole narrative is is that China caved and China's going to continue to cave because we didn't take the tariffs off. So I keep wondering uh, when people are going to recognize that it is historic that tariffs did succeed. They weren't supposed to work. The Chinese were supposed to be able to get around them. It didn't happen. Uh, the Chinese were uh, kind of accepting that they had to do something in order to keep the American market. You know, Jim, in the world that we live in, though, in, in which uh, we deal with senior managements, a lot of multinational companies, uh, and talk to a lot of these CEOs regularly, uh, I, I don't really sense that they care that much about the numbers. And when I say the numbers, I mean the increased purchases by China, whether it's agricultural products or perhaps the commitments on some manufacturing as well. They care about forced technology transfers. Uh, they care about the continued stealing of intellectual property via cyber espionage. And they care about state, supported, state support for those enterprises in China. Um, there is some progress on that. The question is how much and how enforceable is it going to be? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the first thing that Secretary Mnuchin said is, is that uh, this is going to try to stop uh, what may stop forced uh, technology transfer. You're absolutely right, David. I mean, that market has been, uh, let's just say, open uh, only in name. And there's been too much stealing. 
the tariffs maybe prevent, prevent them from stealing. I would love to hear that they admit that they've been stealing. Uh, not to denigrate what we got. And I do think that we don't manufacture that much. If we manufactured more, uh, th- then they buy more. It sounds like this could be good for Boeing. Maybe a reason why Boeing stock hasn't gone down with all the new bad news. But yeah, David, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of companies that would love to be there. Cisco, great example. But if you're going to steal everything, it's not worth it. Maybe that will change. I don't know. Yeah, your point's a good one, though, Jim. Uh, this commitment not to do something that they've never admitted doing in the past, that's going to be key to see whether, whether they're going to be more candid uh, than they have been in the past. As for the tariffs, you know, there had been this notion for the markets that as we got closer to the election, it would be a very uh, powerful lever to roll some of these tariffs off if we got milestones of progress. But these latest reports indicate that, no, they're going to stay in place until the election. Should the market be disappointed by that? No, I think the market should recognize that they've double-crossed us repeatedly. Uh, they have take, Look, when they came to see Obama, they said, listen, we're not going to go down in the, in the China Sea, South China Sea. Well, immediately they did it. And General Mattis has talked about that, the former defense secretary. They've gone back on so many things after they pledged it that you have to keep the tariffs in place just to be able to see, like what Ronald Reagan did with Trust and Verify, if they're really going to change their ways. I still think they have to start, if they're going to be root and branch, they have to say, you know what? We have been stealing. We're not going to steal anymore. We're not going to have joint ventures that that allow us to steal. They have to renounce their ways, not just spend money. And I think the tariffs in place could force them to do that. If only because I think their economy is really growing at two to three percent. I think their economy isn't growing anywhere near five, six percent. You know, though, Jim, when I listen to you, as I have for years now, and you are a hawk without a doubt on this issue um, and listen to Steve Bannon or my old friend Kyle Bass. Uh, or Navarro, um, you, know, you wonder whether we're just going to still decouple, whether that really is where we're going to end up here, that there are going to be two systems, we're going to be decoupled from the Chinese, that there's no real way to bridge these gaps, even if we do get the phase one, uh, de- well, as we did get a phase one, even if we move forward from there. Well, you know what? This is the issue. Uh, I know I've been questioned by high-level people when I do my reporting with administration. Do you want to decouple? Uh, and there are people, Secretary Mnuchin does not want to decouple at all. He just wants our companies to have a fair deal. And I bet you uh, Larry Kudlow, National Economic Advisor, I think he'll say the same thing, which is we just want to have a level playing field. If we have a level playing field, we can actually do well. But you're absolutely right, David. I think it's time for people to stand up and say, do you want to do uh, two systems, which I think is very bad for the world and bad for the U.S., or do you want to engage on equal terms? That's where I am. And if you if you want to be, listen, we can't deal at all with China. I think that's a big mistake. But, you know, when you hear Bannon say and, uh, that, uh, that um, Huawei is just an instrument of the, of the, China, of the PLA uh, and that they need to be put out of business, just completely put out of business, that's not something you could ever imagine, actually, the Chinese uh, allowing to occur. And, and no, I mean, but David, a lot of it starts in 5G. Me. A lot of it starts in separate technology. A lot of it starts with their advancements that they're making and our unwillingness to sort of allow them to do that. And I don't know how you end up with one system. Well, it is, I think, completely ridiculous that we're not doing everything we can to help Ericsson and to help Nokia. 
business to Huawei is a mistake. I believe, like Bannon says, that it's an instrument of the PLA. They get, well, it's an instrument of the country. They, they spend so much money. Why are we not doing more to be able to unite everybody who's got something going against Huawei? And the answer is because these countries themselves, where these companies are in, they use Huawei. It's time to rally these countries and recognize that there are alternatives. Japan, by the way, is working on a lot of alternatives on 5G. Why don't we embrace them? And for that to do, that's an awareness. The administration has got to get more aware that there are companies that can stop Huawei. And you got to back them. You can't just say we don't want to do business with Huawei because we need None of them are U.S. companies, though, Jim. You know that, which is kind of interesting. Well, you know, look, I think it's okay. Look, the president's going to go to Davos next week. I think the guns are now going to be trained on Europe. Let's see what happens. But I do feel that Nokia and Ericsson cannot be given up on. They are they are the only way that we're going to be able to not stop Huawei, but have a competitive offering. You know that the Ericsson and Nokia, they are not as good technologically and they're more expensive. Well, obviously, that's a non-starter. Uh, I'm looking to Japan to offer some good news, too. And I think, David, you've got to you have some great ties in Japan. Japan is trying to work on a software package that makes it so that you can have your towers, do software and be ahead of Huawei. I think that's something we're not reporting enough on. All right. We're finally getting uh, some headlines from uh, Xinhua, uh, the Chinese news agency, uh, that the vice premier uh, is going to be there around 11 a.m. Eastern, we think, with the signing at 1130, uh, that they will follow through on the deal to obtain tangible results. One of the first thorough read-throughs we've gotten on that front from the Chinese side. Obviously, a lot more to be learned uh, as we get closer to the signing uh, mid-morning today. Bank earnings, uh, B of A, posted better than expected quarterly results, helped by a 25 percent jump in FIC. Uh, Goldman with a big revenue beat and posting, of course, this litigation charge, which shaved um, quite a bit off of their reported number of a 469. We were looking for 547. Wilfred thinks it would have been 764. We don't know whether the street was taking all that into account, David. Yeah, uh, $1.24 billion for litigation and regulatory proceedings, as you say, Carl. Uh, diluted EPS by 316, at least uh, uh, that's what they say in the release here, and their return on equity by one and a half uh, percentage points, 150 basis points um, as well. But a strong uh, uh, quarter, as you say, for FIC, investment banking net revenue, 7.6 billion. Obviously, consumer is still very small, but we watch it closely. It is growing uh, at this point. But we'll see what they say on the call. As you heard Wilfred, he came on at the very end there of Squawk Box. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more information around the litigation charge, around where things stand in terms of potential settlement here in the United States and with Malaysia over the 1MDB scandal. Uh, you know, maybe, Jim, they give a little more uh, information around a few other things as well. But the 29th looms, that's when they're going to have this big investor day, and we're going to learn a lot more and get a lot more in terms of targets from the company, I believe, uh, on return on equity that they hope from the various divisions uh, in the, as the way that they're apportioning things. Yeah, I think that's a key meeting. We can't necessarily talk about what Goldman's doing yet, because if you want to go about what Goldman's going to do in the future, uh, you're going to have to wait to that meeting. But, David, this is the problem I hate. I hate earnings season for the cadence. You start with J.P. Morgan, and then Bank of America stock goes up, Goldman stock goes up, because J.P. Morgan's really great. And then they can't equal what people expect. Bank of America's just a cash machine. It's amazing. David, 12 times earnings. 12 times earnings. Yeah. How is that possible? A consistent company versus a Kellogg, an inconsistent company that gets a, a, a double mo- the multiple? I don't understand how the market's valuing these companies. We've had rates go down. I thought that it was bad for these companies. They're killing it. 
Uh, the the charges, the charge offs, nothing. The loan growth, terrific. The deposit base. Oh, my God. They're adding a big bank every quarter. So I think that these companies uh, are were set up by J.P. Morgan to not be able. People are going to say, well, listen, Bank of America was bad. It's down 60 cents. No, it's just that Bank of America was up a lot and it's been a pretty good stock. Yeah. Although credit loss provisions at Goldman up five. Uh, which was above estimates. Jim, some are suggesting maybe this is just uh, the result of building out Marcus. Well, look, I, I think that uh, I want to know how much is credit card, by the way. Uh, remember, credit card is doing much, much better than expected. Who knows what the charge offs are there? Uh, I also think that when uh, we, we get the line items, maybe we'll be more sure. Goldman's murky right now. Uh, and if you're going to go buy the stock, uh, at these levels, you must know something about what they're going to talk about at the end of January. And that is so locked down. I know I've been working endlessly to try to get it. I can't get it. Yeah, what they repurchase over the year? 25.8 million shares of common. At 5.34 billion, they spent on that, too. City repurchase. Bank of America, 28 bill repurchase. These companies are rolling in it. All right, Jim, we're going to get uh, your mad dash in a few moments. So the president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, is going to join us to talk about this uh, signing of phase one later on this morning. Uh, plenty to get to, including some initiations of Peloton. Got a downgrade of um, Beyond Meat. Underweight on Aramco. There's a lot to get to this morning. Uh, we'll get Kramer's mad dash in the opening bell in a few moments. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We continue to see a very healthy consumer environment, obviously a very strong labor environment. Unemployment continues to be very low. You know, the percentage of consumers that are in the workforce continues to grow. Wages are rising. Consumer confidence is strong. And all the indicators right now would say this is going to be a very solid holiday season. Well, that was Target CEO back in November, as he saw, discussing what he was expecting for the holiday season. As we get to a mad dash now with Jim, we're going to focus on Target because the company reported Comstore sales, Jim, of 1.4 percent for the November-December period, which was far below what had been anticipated, specific to weakness in electronics, toys, and portions of their home assortment. Does this mean, Jim, that the huge turnaround we saw on Target is in question, or is it just a blip? Maybe it is a a holiday that is filled with buying in electronics and filled with buying in toys. David, electronics to me, maybe it was an Apple Christmas. Maybe you can't afford anything else but an Apple. Maybe you go and buy these things. You don't think to buy them at Target. I know I haven't. Apparel, they said, was okay. Uh, So it's a mystery why they were doing so well before they got into the season. But I have to say, uh, when when, when Cornell highlights electronics specifically, that means they went elsewhere. How did Costco get nine? Nine percent. I think Costco is where people buy these things. Uh, And obviously, I do believe that it was that Apple was a formidable purchase, including the AirPods this Christmas, enough to be able to move the needle. 
The company is maintaining its previous guidance for the fourth quarter in terms of earnings per share, Jim. Given that, are you surprised the stock is down perhaps as much as 7% when we open 13 minutes from now? Well, I think only because when we saw Macy's, uh, which was okay, and we saw Kohl's, which was bad, we figured, okay, that means business goes to Target. And I don't think it did. We got to find out how Amazon did. And I know that that takes a lot of work. I know you have a lot of sources. But maybe it was, again, uh, for those hard goods, you want them delivered to your house, you got to buy them at Amazon. Yeah, we're not going to. Obviously, Amazon doesn't tell you any specifics. This right. is their, uh, is, is their uh, typical uh, way to go about it. Walmart also doesn't report these kinds of things any longer, Jim. We're going to find, I guess they report uh, February 19th, I think. I'm not sure, but towards the end of February. So it's going to be a little bit there as well before we get any clarity. Well, we didn't think we felt the target had to be the most consistent. And when you see that number, when you see 1.4 percent, that is just out and out anemic. And we know that Brian Cornell admits. I don't know. I mean, this is a rather shocking number. So I don't think the decline is all that. I just don't. All right. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about a stock that had an incredible 2019 after uh, a number of quarters that far exceeded expectations as they really seem to get it together uh, on all fronts, of course. Right. I don't know. Electronic toys. Uh, that could be Amazon, too. I mean, Ohio's brought a decent quarter. Yeah. All right, Jim, stay right there, because coming up uh, on a first you. on CNBC, we're going to have uh, your old friend, Chief White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow. This, of course, ahead of that U.S.-China phase one trade deal signing. And as a reminder, you can always watch us live on the go. The CNBC app is where you'd find us. Stick around. A lot more Squawk in the Street coming straight at you. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Future's giving back a little bit here. We'll see what the day brings. A lot to be learned uh, upon signing of this phase one agreement. In the meantime, watching earnings season roll on with Goldman, B of A, uh, this target guidance, UNH we'll get to. And then Larry Kudlow, uh, National Economic Council director with us around 935 Eastern. We're back in a minute. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world, opening bell in just under five minutes on an important Wednesday morning with the signing of the Phase 1 agreement around 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, lots of earnings to get to. Jim, the price target increases continue. Uh, Guggenheim Facebook, 275. Canaccord Apple, 355. At the same time, uh, Bernstein takes Beyond uh, back to market perform after a 55% run-up since their uh, upgrade. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I thought that was actually the most important uh, analyst call this today, which is a recognition. All right, we've had some really unbelievable gains, and it's all based on the same information uh, beyond me doing better. I, look, I, I think Facebook's a, a terrific company. Should it go up every day because price targets are bumped? It's doing that. I think that's wrong. I think it sets Facebook up to fail. Uh, Apple, same thing. It's, it sets it up to fail. These are analysts just playing catch-up. It's not a good game. If you're doing it, it's pure momentum. It's a uh, price journey. It's the, uh, the multiple expansion. <clears throat> That's not what I like to see because it's quicksand. Uh, people coming in now, quicksand Facebook, quicksand Apple. Wait till they report. Uh, which they will in the coming days. By the way, Beyond does sign a multi-year 
agreement to get supplied with pea protein, which has been a key concern for investors, whether or not they can continue to meet the demand. Right. The, uh, that's a key ingredient, right? It's a pea slurry, pea-related slurry, I think. Is Sounds delicious. But it does sound fabulous, doesn't it? Uh, that, uh, well, that they I've put had the in Tyson there. ones. I've had the Tyson yeah. ones with a dip. I think they're sensational. But again, they're behind. They're not rolling it out. Beyond has worked on this stuff for years. I thought the Tyson pea-based tenders were just dynamite. But I feel like I'm the only one who had them. That doesn't work. It's only growing as a category, though. We know that. Uh, and I mean, you know, it does. I, I come back to yesterday's announcement from um, from BlackRock in terms of ESG. But, Jim, you can't just ignore right. the power of that investor base now that finds these kinds of names alluring in part just because of the way that they are at least viewed as being better for the planet. Oh, yeah. Robin Hood, uh, which is the alpha with 10 million uh, accounts, uh, mostly young people. They want to know ESG. They want to know right as soon as they buy a stock, sustainability. They love the stock of Beyond Meat because Beyond Meat is anti-cow and it's uh, pro-protein. Uh, it is considered to be faux meat that the planet needs and it tastes good. Now, when I've had, I, I do like it. I've had it as meatballs. I, I, I've had it as steak. I mean, the stuff's dynamite. I had Ethan Brown, you know, Ethan, the CEO, he was uh, rip, whipping some stuff up for me. But uh, the millennials are driving this stock, and I think that this downgrade is head to the institutions. Please take some profits. I think it's going to work. I think downgrade works. Well, it's not really anti-cow. I mean, the cows are probably in favor of it because it means they actually yeah. stay alive. It's like the Eat More Chicken, yeah. Chick-fil-A campaign. Uh, on that, on a related note, methane, guys. Methane, uh, David. Methane. Methane. I know. It's a big issue. Uh, Morgan Stanley goes underway to Ramco, uh, sort of a special situation here, given its listing. But they do say, Jim, uh, given geopolitical risk, high oil price sensitivity, limited impact from minority investors, that they would have to offer 5% uh, to be competitive with other majors. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, who wants to own that? I mean, you can, look, if you want a, a, a despoiler of the environment, you can go from BP and get a 6% yield. Now, remember, these are per se despoilers. One of the things that Larry Fink, he, he said, listen, coal, no go. He won't know coal. Well, of course, there are virtually no coal stocks. Are these next? Are they going to be targeted? Are we going to decide, you know what, these can't do ESG, no matter what they say, and therefore they should be a smaller part of the S&P? I think that's going to happen. Interesting. I think you're probably going to be right. I mean, I don't know where the constituency comes from. Unless, you know, but who want, yeah. at some point, one of them is going to really seize the moment and say, we are all about um, being carbon neutral, if we can be it, and all about new ways to generate energy. And they're going to move in that direction and find a whole new shareholder base. How do you become carbon neutral when you sell carbon? I mean, what do you do? I don't know. I plant I don't know. a lot you, of trees. Put up I mean, a lot what of you do is you literally. Yeah, moving the solar, hey, you, you know, you, you become a me. giant. Uh, yeah, but what happened? They got to go to Davos and they say that we'll plant a billion trees. Because I don't know how else you offset being carbon producer. Yeah. I did notice today Pepsi is going to achieve 100% renewable electricity uh, for its U.S. direct operations this year. 100% renewable wow. yeah. electricity out of Pepsi. Uh, so We're going to see a big decline a, in electric use. 
Now, listen, the carbon footprint stuff is showing up now as one of the leading things you see when these companies do their investor days and give you the deck. I mean, I mentioned it yesterday with Takeda Pharmaceuticals, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. But you're right, Carl. Carbon neutral and or energy efficiency and all those things are figuring prominently into the way they describe their companies. Sure. Along with EPS and growth rate and everything else. Yeah. It's not feel good stuff anymore. They're going to force the utilities to drop coal. Coal should not be part of the menu. I know the president is pro-coal. I think that that's an ill-advised position. At the big board, guys, Reeves Asset Management and Virtus uh, ETF Solutions uh, celebrating the fourth anniversary of the Virtus Reeves Utility ETF at the NASDAQ. TiVo uh, doing the honors. I thought Amazon was interesting, Jim. Um, Not just lifting the ban on FedEx ground for third-party prime, but Bezos going to spend a billion dollars to help small and medium-sized businesses in India get online. He says he thinks the 21st century will be the Indian century. Well, I think that, uh, geez, I think Tim Cook would agree. I think that that's the market. Uh, It's a market that is not necessarily open to us on a level playing field, but it's also a fractured market. Uh, That's a smart move by Bezos. How many smart moves can you make? Uh, He's empowering uh, customers. He's empowering infrastructure. India is just, I think, is, is really whiteboard. I think it's clean slate and it's up for grabs. But you have to really be part of the culture there. Bezos, billion dollars. It's a decent start. Yeah. India, interestingly, has demographics that are certainly positive. We don't talk about this a lot, but I mean, forget Japan, which is losing people at a rapid rate. The 864,000 fewer people uh, last year. Uh, But China also has a demographic issue, no doubt about it. Now, they got 1.3 billion people. But nonetheless, uh, India is certainly looks very different in that way. Uh, Although, Jim, they do have some serious issues right now on the ground there uh, in terms of, I guess, politically. But what's going on in terms of the Muslim population, that's not to be overlooked. No, I, I think it's sad. I mean, look, this worldwide nationalism. Uh, I think nationalism is often a code for uh, worldwide discrimination. It's a terrible thing. I think that you're not, people don't talk about that enough because they use the term nationalism as, as if it is something that is powerful. But they tried it in the 30s and it was a disaster. Uh, I don't really know whether India itself is going to be the market so fast. But you're absolutely right, David. It's a young person's economy. They, they are like Uber millennials. By the way, Uber, did Goldman get out of Uber? I don't know. Uh, but I That's do think Wilson, that said, I think, when right? you yeah. have that level of millennial population, wow, yeah. they're up for grabs. Um, we should you mentioned Goldman. It is down about two and a half percent or so after those numbers. Uh, yeah, six dollars. Uh, we can take a look at there's Uber um, uh, and all the banks are down. Uh, Bank of America also actually, Jim, after what certainly seemed to be a solid quarter, but selling off this morning again, they've all rallied a great deal over the last uh yeah, well, that's it. I, yeah. I mean, come Six on. I, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're getting uh, terrific numbers. This is my theory for the whole quarter, what I worry about. You're getting terrific numbers, and the stocks have had terrific moves. So what happens next when people say, hey, you know what, that was terrific. Let these stocks come down. Goldman bought back a ton of stock. Don't forget, the window opens for partners to sell. Uh, there be big retirements. Uh, the, the, usually the, a couple days after the quarter is not good. It is all the January conference call. Bank of America was a great quarter. There's no flies yeah. in that quarter. I know people are saying it's net interest income. Oh, please. One outlier, Wells Fargo, guys. Uh, Charlie Scharf was not. Uh, he was setting the bar low for expectations on that call yesterday, Jim. Uh, stock's down 10% yeah, I, this I, year. I, 
The interview with the CFO yesterday with Wilf uh, was eye-opening. Somehow the CFO seemed to think it was a good quarter. Um, Well, at least there's one person who thinks it's a good quarter. uh, I found that interview to be, uh, well, let's just say uh, suboptimal on the part of Wells Fargo. Uh, everything that Wilf said, no matter what he did about say about, hey, maybe this was bad, that was bad. Uh, the guy was in total denial, but Charlie Sharp was not in denial. Uh, Charlie Sharp was just saying, listen, this maybe this culture's broken. Well, when you say uh, great numbers on the banks, Jim, when Fick is up 86 at J.P. Morgan, 63 at Goldman, 25 at B of A. I mean, uh, how much of this is just leaning on Fick and what happens when that uh, swings the other way, which it ultimately will one day? Well, I look at deposit growth and taking share. Uh, and J.P. Morgan is taking a lot of share. Bank of America is taking a lot of share. When you get those deposit growth, I mean, look, I know that they don't have t- uh, $7 the way Larry Fink has. But let's say Bank of America is $4 trillion, and They open a gigantic number of checking accounts. Well, you know a checking account is just a huge fee-based business. I like the fees that Bank of America is generating. All right. Uh, Jim, uh, as you know, the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal set to be signed later this morning. Uh, joining us today to talk about it, the National Economic Council Director, Larry Kudlow. Larry, it's good to have you back. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Appreciate it. Uh, a big day, uh, something the market's been looking forward to for a long time. As sort of the pieces start to fill in here, what is most important uh, to the market? Is it the commitment on these purchases? I'm seeing a headline now, uh, the Treasury Secretary saying that uh, there will be 100 percent ownership. Uh, of Chinese companies uh, for Americans in, in China? Financial. Financial companies. 100% ownership of financial companies, which is great progress on the whole issue of, uh, of uh, tech uh, transfers and IP. But ownership is very important. Look, I, I think the first thing I want to say is for both teams, for both sides, this is a pro-growth deal. In fact, we think it's going to add to the growth of our economy by at least a half a percentage point in 2020 and 21. Uh, the Ch- China state organs are putting that out. Chinese consumers want American uh, imports, that is, things that America sells to China. Uh, that's a big step forward on that front. And I, I, we'll fill in a lot of details, and I'm happy to tell you everything I can tell you. But I, I just want to make this point. Between the two great nations... Nothing like this has ever happened before. And in fact, as we've talked over the past two years, a lot of times it didn't look like we'd get to the finish line. But this is such an important deal. Uh, Presidential leadership, Mr. Trump, uh, Lighthizer, Mnuchin, the rest of the team backing them up. Nothing like this in history has ever happened before. And it shows cooperation is possible. It shows a more balanced trading relation is possible. And it also shows that America is ready. We are so competitive in this country with productivity and more people working uh, and growing faster than before. It just shows you if you give us open door, okay, lower trade barriers, let us sell you our great goods, services, manufacturing, energy. We will take that opportunity. So this is pro-growth, a more balanced relationship. In general terms, uh, I think those are the key points. 
Larry, specific uh, Larry. to the purchases, which are an important part of this. Sorry, Jim, I'll let you go in just a sec. Um, no, sure. The sure. height of Chinese purchases was $186 billion in 2017. The deal is going to require them to increase that by an additional $200 billion over the next two years roughly a 30% growth rate, including, I think, an additional $80 billion of manufactured goods. You have the confidence that they're going to be there with those kinds of purchases, just given the, the ultimate increase that is, that is uh, demanded of them? Well, these are good numbers. You're right. Look, um, it can only be what the market bears, but the, the China side believes that their economy both needs and can absorb those kind of increases. So it gets better balance. On the numbers, it sounds like you're right. We will publish this today in the general categories. But uh, agriculture exports, uh, 40 to $50 billion a year. Manufacturing, a $75 billion increase. Not enough attention has been paid to that manufacturing number. That is a very large number. And as you know, we've had a little softening in manufacturing, so that's going to be a good thing. Overall services plus $40 billion and energy plus $50 billion. Not enough attention has been paid to that. As you know, America has become energy power. We're independent number one in the world. China, look, if you read the Chinese uh, newspapers and various uh, state-run organs today, what they're saying is better balance, but they're basically saying Chinese consumers and the Chinese economy needs these American products. And so this deal will codify that and uh, create this agreement for the first time ever. And I think, of course, we can meet it. I mean, I, I think the supply side, the production by the United States, I'm not going to say it's unlimited, but I'll say we've got plenty of capacity to open up the throttle. And that's why this thing's going to be so gr uh, pro-growth. Uh, Larry, congratulations. Uh, it is a deal that I think is uh, not, let's just say, would never have even dreamed of just a couple of years ago. Uh, one thing I, I want to know is you and I have often disagreed on fair versus free trade. But since you came to the administration, I think you've seen that there is definitely a problem with China uh, because they did not level the playing field. Larry, tariffs worked. They didn't produce any uh, inflation. Tariffs worked. They made it so that the Chinese had to play more fair. Are you shocked that tariffs just in your history of all your, uh, what I regard as brilliant thinking about the economy, are you surprised that tariffs were so effective? Well, I think, you know, I've, I've said this before. I, I think President Trump has shown all of us that, you know, you have a policy to defend the American economy and the American worker. And that China had generated a very unbalanced trading relationship. They're breaking rules left and right, whether it was IP theft whether it was forced tech transfer, whether it was market closings, uh, and so forth and so on. So we had to deal with these so-called structural problems. And President Trump, who ultimately, I believe, is a free trader and wants barriers lowered to enhance American economic growth and exports, that's the best way to get your trade deficit down, he's shown us that tough negotiation as a means to the end, works. And tough negotiation includes tariff. And, you know, going back almost two years, I've been here nearly two years, uh, I have signed on to that mission, and I have signed on to those uh, strategies and tactics. He has shown that tariffs are part of tough negotiating in pursuit of market openings, you know, more balanced stop the unfairness, stop the theft, and so forth and so on. So, uh, yes, I, I will say I'm proud 
to have been part of this because, again, this kind of deal and this kind of cooperation, U.S.-Sino cooperation, did not seem possible two years ago. And no, Larry, I, I think that, you know, I, this is a rem- I've talked to Lighthizer about this, Jimmy. I mean, Lighthizer himself, who was such a driving force, such a driving force through this. I mean, Lighthizer will say, don't tell me we just got the low hanging fruit. The toughest thing to get in this whole argument, arrangement, negotiation, the toughest thing, Jimmy, was the first deal, phase one. You know why? We've never had a phase one before. And yes, tariffs have a, been a crucial part of this. President Trump was right. Well, uh, Larry, I, I totally agree with you on everything you said. Uh, have the Chinese ever said to Lighthizer, you know what? We have been stealing. We have not been a good actor. We are going to change our ways. And you know what? We'll let you keep the tariffs on. We'll sign this because we are going to change. Have they ever admitted to the terrible things they've been doing in our country? Well, look, I would simply say if you look at the agreements here, whether it's uh, intellectual property theft or forced transfer or ownership of joint ventures or trade barriers, either tariffs or non-tariff barriers, If you look at what's changed, and all these details will be published uh, in an hour or two. If you look at what's changed, Jimmy, you see that their side is, in effect, acknowledging to have a more balanced relationship, they have to provide these kinds of remedies. All right? Now, I'm not not here to uh, beat up China. I'm, I'm here to praise this arrangement, and I'm here to praise Chinese cooperation along with America. I'm just saying the remedies were broad-based, and we've talked about this for two years now. So the fact that China came to the negotiating table, yes, with tariffs, they came to the negotiating table with an enforceable agreement, and we can talk about the enforcement if you like in a moment or two, that shows that they understand they had to make reforms and changes, okay? That shows that, and now, hopefully, if they accommodate and abide by this uh, agreement and the rules, we had a very good dinner last night with their team and talked about these matters. If they abide by the agreement, we're opening up a new chapter. It's a new chapter for better trading and more open markets and for American exports. It's also hopefully a new chapter for better economic growth. Look, their economy has been very, very weak, as you report all the time. And they need help, I think, from American Uh, products and services and so forth. So, you know, the fact that they came to the table, the fact that they agreed to the agreement, the fact that they agreed to the remedies, all I'll say is, what does that tell you? Larry, but for those who say tariffs are largely still in place, the purchases get us back uh, basically above 2017 levels, she's not even here to sign this today. Uh, the, people wonder, still wonder, you know, the impact on corporate confidence, on CapEx that we've been through for the past year and a half, and people ask, was it worth it? You think it was? I do. I mean, you know, look, Carl, don't, don't go there, please. Don't, don't make this little. This is not little. This is huge. And by the way, the stock market has been rallying. I'm, I'm not going to make it anyway, Larry. I'm not going to make it big or small. Well, okay. I'm going to make it big because, again, nothing like this has ever happened before in history. And look, regarding the stock market, you've had tremendous rally in the stock market. All right, 2019 was an amazing year. But I think besides an easier Federal Reserve, 
I, I think the progress on the China trade talks, as it was revealed, and I've been out here talking and Mnuchin and others, uh, has been a big boost to the stock market. And I think the stock market is an important scorecard here, not only saying that this is for real, but also it's going to improve confidence, investment and economic growth between the two countries. And, you know, last night, Vice Premier Liu He and I were talking about this. Uh, not only for the U.S. and China, it's going to improve growth for the rest of the world. Does it inspire more right. confidence? I think it does. Look, we pulled back. Uh, we made adjustments to pull back the December tariffs. It was about, whatever, $150 billion. We lowered the tariff rate on the September tariffs. I think it was $120 billion from 15 to 7. But, and this is an important but, we maintained tariffs on the original $250 billion at 25%. Yep. That is, if you will, our statement that we want to wait and see, number one, how does enforcement of phase one go? And number two, what sort of progress will we make on phase two? If the enforcement does not occur, if we don't have adequate dispute resolutions, then we will take proportionate actions and responses, and China knows that, and they, and, and they don't have the reciprocal agreement uh, to counter it. So, Larry, this is as we've gone further than we've ever gone. Yeah, Larry, I want to, you know, in the world that, uh, that I report on, that you know well, of course, given your many years here at CNBC, a lot of the CEOs, senior executives at multinationals don't really care that much about the purchases numbers. They care a lot more about forced technology transfers, yes. the endless cyber espionage they've been yes. subjected to where the Chinese try to steal their uh, corporate secrets, uh, and the state support of enterprises that competes unfairly with them in markets around the world. What is in this agreement that addresses that, and specific to what you keep mentioning, what are the compliance mechanisms that we really have here uh, that we can rely on to make sure whatever we got, we actually get. Yeah, those are very good points, David. Uh, I mean, look, some of the industries uh, are very, very happy with the export increases, but I think you're right about the structural problems. So let me just suggest here, um, number one on uh, the theft of intellectual property. You know, intellectual property, which is technological inventions, advances in innovations, is the kind of creativity and freedom that makes America the greatest economy in the world. It's like we, you cannot steal our freedom or our inventiveness and creativity. Now, numerous changes, David, are in the agreement. You'll see it when it's published later if you haven't already. Um, importantly, China, in China, the definition of criminal offenses regarding theft of IP and related matters is absolutely a crucial ingredient in this. Furthermore, a number of regulatory changes are being made, and uh, we have this uh, appeals process, this dispute resolution process. So with regard to counterfeiting and, you know, stolen goods and stolen ideas, there are a number of very important reforms in here that can be easily monitored. Uh, so that's probably the single biggest area, the IP theft. Now, there have been some important ownership changes, as was mentioned before, I think, by Carl. Uh, Mr. Mnuchin negotiated 100% um, uh, U.S. ownership of financial service companies. That's been in the works for a long time. It's very, very important. Hopefully, that idea of 100% ownership will spread into other areas. That will be left for phase two. Uh, but again, regarding the IP. Now, I will also say, in, in general terms, 
the so-called forced transfer of technology, which is an ownership issue, number one, and a licensing issue, number two. All right. Strictures have been provided in phase one, but there will be the heavy lifting on that. The more comprehensive lifting on that will be done in phase two and indeed will probably be the central aspect of phase two. But I will say this. Of all the companies we talk to, I mean, all the wonderful CEOs, I've met so many CEOs in this job, uh, coming up to see me on the second floor, going with me to see President Neoval. People are extremely happy. Not just that we put this stuff on the table, let's take IP theft. I mean, that is the family jewels, isn't it? What technological innovation, no other country in the world comes close to what the USA produces. So we must protect that. We must protect that at all costs. And the CEOs we talk to, all kinds of executives, are very happy with the progress that we have made. And again, remember, in China, this may be as a sidebar, but it's very important. Vice Premier Liu He told me this almost two years ago. One of the biggest problems in China is the Chinese companies steal IP from each other. And so they're hoping to use trade reform as a way to stop the domestic problems. So they've changed their regulations, they've changed their criminal law codes, and there'll be more coming. And it's all, you know, if you want to make a complaint now, an American company operating in China can make a complaint directly to the U.S. Heterefore, they were only going to China. And we've set up a bilateral uh, process of um, resolution uh, uh, dispute uh, uh, to make sure different layers will have courts, will have, you know, testimony, staff level, deputies level, and if need be, principals level. And again, if the enforcement fails, if the complainants in the U.S. government are not satisfied with any remedies, then we will take, um, we will take additional proportionate uh, actions. Well, Larry, one thing, uh, you're talking about a lot of goodwill. Uh, to me, that goodwill would have translated to a, a much more of a decline in, in tariffs. We're not giving them that. And, and what would be a demonstration on their side of goodwill? Could they say, you know what, uh, Apple is a big installed base of doing credit card. We're going to let Goldman and Apple do their own credit card. Is this about J.P. Morgan coming in and saying, listen, we're not going to demand that they have a partner? What can they do? Can they buy something? Can they let some companies in? I want to know what concrete is going to change, uh, because it does seem that you left the tariffs in because you may not expect that there's something concrete that could occur. Well, look, uh, you know, step by step, brick by brick, I think the most important part of, of your point is the 100 percent ownership provision for as far as I know, Jimmy, almost all versions of financial services, banking, investing, distressed loans, money management, uh, as uh, this year, I believe it's April 1st, I, I might be wrong, but I believe April 1st, 2020, this year, these things will go into effect, 100% ownership for United States companies. That's really important breakthrough stuff. And, you know, to your other question, uh, or Dave Faber's question, I just want to read this. I'm not smart enough to remember every legal detail. But I want to say this. Regarding the intellectual property structural issues, which is so important to protecting our creative freedoms, um, changes to China's criminal and civil procedures. Changes to China's criminal and civil pr uh, procedures with appropriate penalties if that is broken. And Chinese government agencies cannot force 
their companies to disclose information from our companies, nor can they force our companies from disclosing information. These are fundamental high standard provisions. We've never had anything like it before. And again, if they're not enforced, we will take appropriate action, proportionate response action. Larry, really quick, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but the tape has uh, White House mulling, payroll tax reduction, and increase in earned income tax credit for this election year. True? Uh, I am still running a process um, of tax cuts 2.0. Uh, we're many months away. It'll come out sometime later during the campaign. No discussion of specifics. Tax cuts 2.0 to help middle class economic growth. That's still our goal. Uh, I had a tremendous meeting with my friend Kevin Brady, uh, who will undoubtedly be the new chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee in the next Congress. <laughs> but we will unveil this uh, perhaps sometime later in the summer. All right. Larry, always helpful. Uh, appreciate it very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Uh, Larry Kudlow. Uh, Dow session highs here, up 105. Uh, S&P 3293. Jim, uh, your thoughts and what's on MAD tonight? Well, look, I just think I, I continue to believe that there is a good feeling in the banks. Don't let their decline today uh, judge things. I got to tell you, the shrug off of Target is extraordinary. I mean, you would expect all of retail Dow. Uh, I just see... Jeez, this market's strong. I mean, the way it, it, it's just strong. They're deciding that it's target-specific. Uh, what can I say? People want to own stocks really badly, no matter what. I, I, I think any amount of caution is proving you wrong right here. And I don't like that, but it's true. I mean, Amazon's up big. If the consumer's really hurt and, and slow because of Target, it, it looks like the Target just lost share. I, I've got to believe they just lost share. Yeah. When, to- when toys are flat and electronics are down six at Target, something's going on on a share basis. Uh, it sure is. Hey, yeah. how about Hello Amazon? Although Amazon, much- Amazon uh, Jim, is lagging Apple, Facebook, and Alphabet True. dramatically so far this year. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's just that I would have thought that someone would have said, hey, Target's really great uh, company. It, maybe the consumer was uh, much, wor- much worse than we thought. Uh, that would not be a, a, a jive with what J.P. Morgan and Bank of America are saying. Jim, on hey, Matt by, tonight by the way, and guys, tomorrow? Yeah, we got Stitch Fix. Uh, we got Moderna, which is up the most of almost any stock in the NASDAQ. Uh, XBO Logistics, what's going on there? And by the way, we have Satya Nadella tomorrow uh, from Microsoft and uh, I, I candidly, I'm proud of that. Worked hard to get them. Uh, the, what's going on there with their Azure cloud? David, when you talk about Amazon not moving up, mm-hmm. how about because of Azure? We're going to find out. Yeah, that's a great interview. Looking forward to, to that one for sure Thank tomorrow, you. Jim. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.